0: It's officially headed into fall, and that means hyperphasia is setting in. But what is hyperphasia, and what does it mean to anglers? We're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad LaChance here. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much. I also appreciate the long term support of the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. They've been with us since the very inception of Fishful Thinker back in 2004. Uh, visit them at any one of 140 plus stores nationwide or at sportsman's.com. We would appreciate it, and I'm sure they would as well. It's September, guys. It is now officially uh, headed into the, what I call hyperphagia, hypophagia season, depending on how you pronounce it, tomato, tomato, wait. Basically what it means is everything's on the feeding binge. If you live somewhere where it gets cold, Animals and fish are starting to think about feeding up. It doesn't matter if we're talking about bears or we're talking about bluegills or whatever. Everything's talking about feeding as they prepare for the long winter lean months that are uh, inevitably coming. And the farmer's almanac, regardless of what you feel or don't feel about the accuracy of that, they're calling for a very cold winter. I'm of the opinion that animals understand that. I think they get a vibe on that. I'm not sure that they've called their weatherman per se, but they, I'm of the opinion, understand the big picture of what's coming. And with the cold summer we've had and the rain we've had this year, and I don't know where you're listening from, but here where I live, it's been the coldest and wettest summer that I can ever remember and for sure the wettest officially. So. It's been a major deal around here. I have a deck on my house, attached to my house, that normally is so hot you can't leave a pair of flip-flops out there because the heat will curl them. And this summer, I literally have um, some sort of moss growing on the deck because it has been wet more than it has been hot and dry. And that's going to change up a lot of things this year because there's a tremendous amount of food available to everybody involved. Uh, And when I say everybody involved, I mean fish and game because... When you get a tremendous amount of moisture in the system, it runs off the hillsides and washes nutrients into the lake, especially in areas where there's been fires and things like that in the past. Uh, Again, a lot of nutrients get released. The more moisture that comes down, the more nutrients that get released from the natural system. And I'm not talking about the yucky nutrients that you get from lawns and things like that in metro fisheries or or farm runoff. I'm talking about more natural nutrients coming off the mountains around Colorado. Uh, the also that means all that moisture means that the berry bushes are going to be big for all the game out there, uh, for the birds, the bears, the deer, the elk. Uh, the seed crops are going to be really big. The vegetation that grew, uh, all the forbs, all of that got really big this year. A lot of food out there, and there's going to be a lot of stuff for various things to eat. And as anglers, hyperphagia is a blessing and a curse because typically it occurs. At the time where the bait fish are at their highest numbers so it's just starting right now and it will get bigger and bigger and bigger as we head closer to ice in what starts to taper hyperphagia off and hyperphagia is a a specific term that, that references the increase in feeding characteristics of just about anything out there it's a scientific term uh, probably the most famous thing is bears in the fall or anything that hibernates in the fall, right? They eat like crazy going into fall. Bears or black bears around my neck of the woods are eating 20 plus thousand calories a day uh, this time of year. And that's a lot of berries if you think about it. And, uh, or a lot of ants or ground squirrels or whatever it is they can catch and eat, um, mostly berries and forbs that's a lot to have to eat twenty thousand calories of a day and so they're on the march well same with everything else all the fish and everything else all doing the same thing is eating 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 and people just for the record but in the bait fish situation or in the fishing situation since this is really a fishing podcast first and foremost we should reference more of that um the bait fish populations are at their highest for the season so Everything that was born in spring, all everything from the from in my particular case the smelt and shad all the way to the yellow perch and bluegills and everything in between, all of those things were born sometime in April, May, June of the year, maybe as late as July. Uh, they weren't really big enough for sport fish to eat until they get up in the one to two inch range. Now. I'm talking about sport fish that we're trying to catch now a little baby smallmouth bass behind my house right now you can watch them and swim around and they're just absolutely swimming around and waylaying baby mosquitoes but they're only an inch long bass the the bigger bass are eating one inch long shad all over the lake and i spent last week Uh, addressing white bass, a bunch of white bass last week, and they were spitting up shad like crazy. And all of those shad were somewhere between three quarters of an inch and an inch and a quarter long, maybe a couple of them as much as two inches. But for the most part, they were less than an inch and a half long. Those are little baits, and there's lots of them, which from the angler standpoint can be tricky because you need to present something that's in the size realm of what they're feeding on but not necessarily exactly the same size. And when you start dealing with really small baits, it can be difficult, especially because we're dealing with a lot of open water fish. So casting distance can be a thing. So that can be an issue as well. But that little bait fish that's out there, the combination of the fact that they're small and therefore hard to to present with, with artificial lures, and the fact that there's a bajillion of them in the lake uh, means that the, your fishing can be a little bit tricky. So the fall feeding binge isn't maybe as outwardly successful as you might think for anglers. It can keep you very honest. A couple of key baits for me this time of year are going to for sure be something like a small spoon, a Johnson Sprite or a Johnson Splinter. The, the, the uh, Sprite is going to be a, a bigger profile for a given weight which means it's going to flutter more and sink slower. A, a splinter is more along the lines of what you might be familiar with the Castmaster, so it's smaller and denser and for a given weight, it's got a much smaller profile and therefore it sinks quite a bit faster and with a, with a higher frequency vibration. So. One of those two, depending on how deep my fish are in the water column, is one of the first things I'll grab uh, in in this time of year. Another one could be something like that power switch I throw. A lot of, you'll have to look that one up. It's not one that's easily describable, but it's basically a hybrid jig. Uh, It's a jig with the lead head molded inside of it and more centrally located instead of on the front. So the bait's horizontal. It's a very good open water bait. It's available an inch and three quarter, two and a half and three inch sizes. Again, all of which uh, are in the realm of what we're dealing with in the fall. If you're fishing around yellow perch, a lot of those are gonna be in the one and a half to three inch range as well. Uh, Excellent bait fish, uh, but again, they're on the small end and there's a lot of them. So to mimic that can be a little bit tricky. If you're a fly guy, this is an excellent time of year because those small flies can be really, really deadly on fish that are feeding high in the water column, which a lot of them are doing at this time of year. So the fall feeding binge probably benefits fly guys and light tackle anglers more than others, at least when we're talking about western reservoir type stuff. Now, a couple other things that could be considered the fall feeding binge could be any one of the spawn cycles of the fish that spawn in the fall. So in other words, brook trout, brown trout, and lake trout are all fall spawners, uh, as our arctic char, which we have in a couple of our lakes around here. Fall spawners means they're dumping eggs in the fall, which means that all the other fish in that lake or river are going to feed on those eggs. That's how eggs work. You drop your eggs and I'll eat them, and then when I drop my eggs in spring, you can eat them, and that's just how eggs work. Can be interesting to fish around those because the feeding binge that happens when, say, brown trout are spawning, the rainbows will come and beat on their eggs. Same thing with the with the brookies, Uh, lake trout uh, when they're spawning, rainbows will come and beat on their eggs as well. And again, the lake trout will return the favor in the spring. The other thing lake trout will do is come up shallow and eat browns that are spawning uh, in the mouth of rivers. So that can be a key thing as well, but. The big takeaway from all of this, when I'm nine minutes in this podcast, and the big takeaway is that at this time of year more than any other, big fish are eating small baits for one, and for two, they have a lot of bait uh, available. So those two things come together to make them a little bit trickier to catch, and you'll generally get smaller bite windows, the flip side of those smaller bite windows. And what do I mean by a bite window? I mean an, an opportunity over the course of the day where the where the bite will go really strong, Typically, that's going to be early in the day, late in the day, uh, as in first light or last light, or in the case of, of a frontal condition that's coming in, and they will very sure be tied to moon phases, spring and fall, is when the moon phases, in my experience, have the most effect on the fishing. And I believe it's because those moon phases drive uh, mating rituals and cycles, whether it be animals or, or fish. And therefore, everybody takes advantage of the other stuff that's mating. It's not really any surprise there that everything's weak when it's mating or giving birth. And therefore, other animals, Mother Nature designed it that way. And uh, and that's how it's going to go. So you're going to get smaller windows of time over the course of a day that they feed. But when they do feed, they're going to feed like crazy, and they're going to do it on really small baits. The other thing is it may be heavily centered on moon phases. So if I'm planning a fall trip, a, a September, October, November fishing trip, which is why I'm giving you this podcast at this time of year, so you can plan. I'm going to go. I'm going to try to plan everything, if at all possible, on the dark moon or the full moon or at very least a quarter moon, but preferably the full moon or the dark moon. And if, if, if my schedule is such that I can time a fall fishing trip around one of those, that's what I'm always going to do because I can expect that either the fish that are spawning will be available to me or the fish that are feeding on those fish or their eggs will be available to me. But either way, it gives me a more predictable scenario uh, is to say, okay, well, on the dark moon in October, there's gonna be a whole bunch of brown trout that are shallow and dumping eggs. Well, that means there's gonna be them available, potentially, uh, and also the rainbows that are eating their eggs. So that's how I'm gonna look at that. Or if you're looking at a reservoir system where there's a river running in it, you'll get fish that'll run up that river and then there'll be fish that stage with them Uh, to either intercept the live fish or their eggs coming back down. But I'm going to always look at that scenario when I'm talking about fishing at this time of year Uh, around hyperphagia uh, type fish, fish that are really feeding. The other thing is this is the time of year where you can count on feeding the fish. And by that, I mean... Uh, There's typically a couple ways you can get fish to bite. One, you can feed them, which is a classic fly guy or live bait move, right? Where I take a dry fly that looks exactly like what they're eating and I drift it over the top of them or a little tiny nymph or whatever it might be. The key being to make it look as realistic as I can and drifting as realistic as possible so that they eat it alongside the million naturals that they're eating that look just like it. Another way to get uh, those same fish to bite is to get some sort of a reaction bite, whether it be from aggression, or curiosity, or territorialness, or uh, just sheer uh, the predator-prey instinct, the 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 fleeing prey thing. So, you got a, a rainbow trout in the fall, and he's eating these eggs one after the other that are coming down from this from this brown trout that are spawning. But he will also jump on a great big high-speed moving. Uh, you know, hard plug of some sort or a big streamer fly that comes swinging across in front of him, he's just doing so for a completely different reason. And I don't care why fish bite. That's a running joke of mine. I don't care why they bite. I only care that they bite. And the only reason I keep track of, of... how they're biting is so I can tailor my, my presentation to it. So am I trying to feed these fish or not? When there's an abundance of bait in a system, it can be very hard to feed the fish because you have so much of the same thing around them to uh, for them to eat that it becomes a, almost an impossible thing, right? That's like it's just it's just difficult let me i'll just leave it at that so what i like to do let's say i'm fishing around uh, balls of bait right so shad or smelt being the classic ones uh why what do i mean by getting getting not feeding them, given them reaction bite? in that scenario a lot of times i'll take my jigging spoon that i started this podcast with or a flutter spoon and i will try to rip it right through the middle of the bait And the the point of that being is I'm going to try to scatter the bait fish. So I'll take that, say that Johnson Sprite, which is one of my favorites of all time. A quarter ounce Johnson Sprite uh, is right in the two inch range. I get a pure chrome. It sinks on a very, very erratic, wide-ranging flutter, which means it doesn't go down too fast, which means it's perfect for a lot of fish that are feeding on shad high in the water column, wipers, white bass, in, in a lot of cases, walleyes and, and, uh, and smallmouth as well, and for sure trout in reservoirs that have shad in them, which is pretty much all the reservoirs up and down the front range where I live. The trout will also take full advantage of the shad. That Johnson Sprite in a a quarter ounce is a really good size to mimic those shad as we go farther and farther into the fall. Maybe even the eighth ounce, the small one, this time of year. But I will throw that thing out into where either my Lowrance units are showing me that there's bait or where the surface activity is showing me that there's bait with my eyes. Uh, And then I will rip that spoon into the middle of that bait, almost like you're trying to snag bait fish. And then as soon as the bait fish will scatter, and they will invariably scatter every direction away from that spoon, then I kill it and let it sink down on semi-tight line. I like to guard the spoon as it drops with the rod tip. In other words, I don't want the line tight and I don't want to completely slack I want to drop the rod tip at the same rate that the spoon is naturally sinking on its own just so I can keep a little bit of a controlled bow in the line and so I will follow the spoon down with the rod with the with the rod tip or guard it on its way down that way I have an idea if it gets bit that's one of my absolute favorite presentations uh, to do when there's. when there's fish, I should say, feeding on shad or smelt high in the water column. That works very, very well, and it works for a whole wide range of fish. Another favorite presentation of mine uh, can be around the fall feeding binge will be fish feeding around eggs. Well, when you're getting fish feeding around eggs, in other words, they're eating on trout eggs being the most common one at this time of year, uh, a crayfish imitation of some sort that's relatively big. It's hard to mimic an egg unless you can drift it in some way, shape, or form and and get enough fish to notice it. I can't set it on the bottom with an egg flyer or, or even a gulp egg or a power bait egg. I can put it high in the water column and hang it under something. Uh, but the problem with that is it's completely unnatural. And yes, a big dumb rainbow will swim by and eat it, but at the end of the day, it's completely unnatural for one because the eggs sink quite well on their own. That's the, how they're designed. So hanging in the water column is not what an egg would normally do. Uh, and then the other thing about that is you're hoping a fish will come by and notice a basically static egg in the water columns. I don't like that scenario. That's way too um, sedate for my taste. So what I would like to do is either put like a 5- or 6-inch um fish shaped body or a big crayfish body either of which on a jig head and I will rig both of them so that they look like they're feeding. So I will take the crayfish and rig him backwards. Any any good bass guy is going to say, "Oh, well you you the, the the crayfish moves backwards. He scoots along backwards." Absolutely. 100%. That's how they that's how they go about getting away from something is they scoot backwards and bass guys have rigged them that way forever, but most other anglers don't even rig crayfish baits of any sort. But I learned a long time ago, if I rig it frontwards and then drag it on the bottom to where it looks like it's walking, if you have a crayfish in a tank, which I've had lots of over the years, he'll walk forwards. He only goes backwards when he's in a panic mode. Well, I want a trout to think that he's got the drop on that crayfish. Same thing with my fish body if I do that. So if I'm going to choose a fish body, I want that thing to stand up. I want all the lead to be on the nose so that it looks like the fish that I'm throwing around the spawning fish is eating the egg. So I want the tail of that body to stand up. Uh, so that it looks like it's eating eggs. So I will rig it uh, either on a jig head that will accommodate that, like a football head jig that will stand it upright, a small football head jig, or I'll use some sort of a body that will naturally do that on its own. But I want it to stand up to look like the fish is feeding on the bottom. Same thing with the crayfish. I want him to be walking along nonchalantly feeding on the bottom, which is what they do when they have an infinite food source like eggs dropping all around them and not be threatened, because what I have seen with trout is the crayfish, until they can get the drop on it, get around behind it, they won't mess with them. I have seen lots and lots of instances where little tiny crayfish, they will eat, or soft-shelled crayfish, they will eat like crazy. So crayfish that are like an inch, inch and a half long, no problem, we'll just eat them all day long. Blue crayfish that are that are molting. They get a very soft shell and they'll turn bluish colors a lot of the times when they're molting or they'll lose their color altogether when they're molting. Those shells, those new shells that come in are soft. Trout will eat those as well because the, the crayfish doesn't have as good of a way to defend himself. Or if trout can get behind the full-size crayfish, now we're game on and particularly big trout will get on those crayfish. So I will rig it backwards, rig it weedless, and drag it on the bottom. And I mean drag it. Don't make it leave the bottom. Crayfish does not leave the bottom uh, unless he absolutely has to to flee from something else. So I will drag it on the bottom and be patient with hook sets. In that case, I pretty much always am going to use a, uh, a, a scented or flavored bait Max scent craw of some sort or a power craw of some sort, something along those lines that have some scent and flavor to it as well, because fish are going to have some time to look at it. But that can be a really good way to address fish that are feeding heavily for hyperphagia on a predominant food source like eggs. Both of those will work really, really good. And then if you're dealing with other um, predatory fish like bass, things like that, one of the really good things can be in the fall of the year is to just go way bigger than the bait, similar to what we just did with trout and use a swim bait of some sort uh, and there's a whole slew of them out there uh, but get a much larger than average swim bait completely out of the realm of anything they're eating and mass, because when hyperphagia sets in more calories is better than less calories and so as long as you don't spook fish with a big bait you can get largemouth and smallmouth and and walleyes and others to eat full-size baits very easy, uh, or oversized baits in the fall of the year. So a classic example of that is stalker rainbow-sized baits, which the subcatchable or catchable rainbows in Colorado and, and all over the West are somewhere between eight and ten inches long. Well, a ten-inch swim bait, even if the fish aren't feeding on those ten-inch trout a whole bunch, they're on the, that hyperphagia stage where they want as many calories as they can get. And as far as food sources go, there are a few things better than a stalker rainbow trout. They're very protein dense. They have no scales or spines or no significant scales or spines, so they're easy to digest. And oh, by the way, they're dumb as rocks because they were just dumped out of a hatchery and into the reservoir. So they don't know about having to survive and take care of themselves. They don't know that there's anything like a giant predatory fish. I'm sure somewhere back in their prehistoric brain there is. But keep in mind, trout have been domesticated for hundreds of years. So it's hard to say these days uh, how smart they are or they aren't. But I can tell you that when they dump a bunch of 8 to 10-inch stalkers in a reservoir, they aren't very bright and they can get eaten quite easily. And anything that's looking at feeding up... Uh, for the fall or the winter uh, is definitely going to take advantage of that food source. And more importantly than that, or, or maybe in serendipitous, it would be a better word, uh, Parks and Wildlife agencies around the country stock their trout when the water cools in fall, uh, and uh, that means that they're being dumped in the system. So other fish that are feeding up now have an abundant food source of these, of these rainbow trout. And even if they're not in there in big numbers to where the fish are seeking them down, opportunistically bass and walleyes will key on those. And I've got a picture of a walleye with a 10 inch huddleston. This is years and years ago, a 10 inch huddleston swim bait, which is a big giant, it's like four ounce swim bait, Gone. You can't even see it in this walleye's gullet. He has swallowed the whole thing tail first. And with it being a trout, he can swallow it tail first or head first because they don't have spiny rays. They don't have dorsal spines and anal spines and, and pectoral, or uh, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, pectoral spines and all those other ones. Um, they don't pelvic spines is what I'm looking for. Uh, they don't have those, and so trout can be swallowed either way. Walleye know that, bass know that, and they will just flat swallow them. So that can be another really good choice around the, around hyperphagia type feeding situations. So. Again, it's more about uh, the opportunity of feeding them something that they can easily eat and catch, or giving them something they have to completely react to. And the reason I like to rip the spoon to, to touch back on that, why I like to rip the spoon into baitfish, is that will make the baitfish scatter, and that will get the prey or the predator fish's attention. So if there's bass or walleyes anywhere near them, which you typically will see on your grass. If there's bass or walleye or white bass or wipers or trout anywhere near those bait fish, when they scatter or panic is when the, the prey fish will know or the predator fish will notice them. And then your spoon fluttering down when those bait fish have scattered uh, is what's going to draw the strike. And so that can be a great scenario for anglers. Uh, The biggest key when I talk about guarding that spoon down is being Johnny on the spot on the hook set because they are not going to hold that thing. When they bite that thing, it's about the equivalent of you hitting yourself in the face with a fork. It's not something that they necessarily are going to enjoy. They're going to spit it out really fast, and it's a braided line application. Set your hooks immediately. You'll catch more fish doing that. So, Hyperphagia. uh, It's a great time of year to fish, but not always the easiest time of year to fish. As a human being, we all fall for it as well. I will say this is an excellent time of year as the water starts to cool off to harvest a few fish as well. If you're going to eat some some fish, white bass, this time of year, great choice. Uh, Wipers, um, cutthroats, or excuse me, uh, brook trout, delicious this time of year as well. I like to harvest some fish, and typically I will do it at this time of year. So if you guys would join the conversation on our social media, I would appreciate that, at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, a little bit on TikTok. We don't spend a lot of time on TikTok. But a little bit on there, uh, definitely our YouTube channel. We put a ton of time into that. We would love to have you checked out. And most importantly, we hope you'll check out what we're up to on World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports, uh, both of which on your cable TV provider. We are airing there five days a week on both networks, so we hope you'll check those out. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.